Thank you for the song leading. And we'll, maybe just as you pray softly, we'll just go to the Lord in prayer. And I just want to say thank Dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the presence that's here already. Lord, just the liberty that's already here, just coming in and out and up here. And what a presence, Lord. We just thank you. In your presence, that's where we're strong. Lord, of ourselves, we're human. Of ourselves, we have so many ups and so many downs. But when your presence comes, when we can enter into worship, Lord, when we can give ourselves to you, Lord, I just pray now that you could come, Lord. This might be the last scheduled young people service of 2020. And I just pray you could come in a special way, Lord. Pray you could come one more time. Meet with us, oh God. You've met with us and you've been so faithful this year, Lord. You've moved in a special way. And Lord, we look to you to just move one more time. We give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you to the musicians. Welcome you all to the service. How many is excited to be in church tonight? Amen. We, uh, we won't have a sword drill. We'll just go right into this part of the service. And I, uh, I always am nervous doing this. And I'm sure you can tell at the beginning always and probably all the way through. But pray for me. And we'll trust in God. And I, I was just thinking as we're, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and Jonah chapter 1 after that if you want the second one. I was just thinking about some of the services that have jumped out at me, especially thinking about this thought I have tonight that have been preached by the different brothers over the last few months. And Brother Andrew preached, raising a standard in Zion. How many remembers that? We have a standard to raise. And he's got his banner. I was thinking of make straight the paths of Jehovah was another one, I think, along the similar lines. Brother Maxwell preached the troubled waters. Will you step in? And there was freedom there, and young people stepped in, and God did a move. And he preached, this is your time. And another one, it shall not stand. No matter what we have against us, it won't stand. Brother Ed preached, it so jumped out at me, I had to listen to it again, the pole of Jerusalem. And he prayed that tape of Brother Branham looking across the curtain of time and seeing what he saw. And that pull of Jerusalem, I believe, is getting stronger and stronger every day. There was a brother, Brother Greg came and prayed a couple of weeks back, and he mentioned what his wife had told him, saying that, you know, we can feel that pull of heaven getting stronger, but don't you think God's getting excited to see us too? We think about our feeling to him, but God's getting excited. My bride's almost coming home. We're almost there. Brother, brother Ed also preached faith drawn from the miry clay. And how we can go through hard things and be pulled out of mud, but there's faith that comes through. And also your position is greater than the trouble. And Brother Moses, God bless you, Brother Moses, preaching on adoption and inheritance. When we have the Holy Ghost, there's a whole lot of promises for us. When we cross Jordan, there's an inheritance for us. There's battles, but we win. If we do our part, Brother, Brother Moses preached the earnest of our inheritance and just on Wednesday, the sign of circumcision. When they crossed the land, they had to come and cut the excess flesh and do the things. And this is where we'll start. Just the first verse we'll read. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And that's two different things. Sin is one thing. But there's things that aren't sinful that are weights to us. 
that we don't need. They're not edifying. They're not, they're holding us back. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience. This is where the, the slogging happens. This is where it's hard. But to run patiently every day. Get up, read and pray. Get up, read and pray. Go about your day. End the day. Read and patiently running the race that is set before us. And the next verse would say, looking unto Jesus. Jonah chapter 1. Or Jonah chapter, sorry, Jonah chapter 2. I think you probably saw that I said that wrong. God bless you, Brother Ethan and Sister Ruth. <laughs> the book of Jonah is a fascinating book I've been thinking about, and we'll take a little bit of time in there. He's a, such an interesting character in the Bible. He's a moody man. He has his ups and his downs. The end of the book of Jonah is God rebuking him for being upset that a gourd got killed when God says, you should have been more worried about all the souls that I saved. But God had such a plan in a man like Jonah all the way through. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And we'll read the second verse. I don't have it in front of me. I'm sorry. I'm relying. And I said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Amen. And this is interesting, where, where he said he was, out of the belly of hell. This was his hell, to be in the belly of the fish. This was his worst thing he could have had. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardst my voice. God bless you. You can have your seats. My title today is worship as a weapon. Did you know your worship can be a weapon against the enemy? And if I, I didn't include it in there, but there's a song that I love that I would add as a subtitle that I didn't include, but raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. The desire for God towards us is growing just like our desire for God is growing the other way. God's desire to see us is growing, just like our desire to see him is growing. And we can see that. We can feel it. How many feels it? In a year where everything's been upside down, in an year where everything, the whole world is feeling like this is the end of the world. Anyone can feel that. There's a scripture that says, this know that in the last days perilous times shall come. And I'll say last days for who? Not for you and not for me. Last days for the devil. That's it. In the message, who is this, Brother Branham would say, God is a healer, and he cannot heal unless there's someone sick to heal. You can't have God express his attributes unless you go through hard times and trials. See, if there'd never been a sickness, there would never have been a healer. God being a healer, his own attributes projected these things. There had to be something respond to the attribute that was in God. God, the word, means an object of worship. God wanted to be worshipped, so he had to project something that would worship him. What is worship? Worship isn't simply just a song, but it is a song. But it's an expression of something to someone who's worthy. It's an expression. There's always a reason behind worship. In the Psalms, it would say, I worship you because of what you did, because you took me out of that, because that you're great, because that you're God, because that you formed the mountains and the earth, and before thou ever formed the earth and the sea. There's a psalm that says, even from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. 
It could be because he's God. It could be what he's done for you. But worship is an expression that we all need. And it makes God, God. Brother Branham would say that God wasn't even God until he was worshiped. Worship is what made him God. And we're created to glorify him. Brother Branham says, so when the spirit of God is near, what will take place? Salvation will be introduced. Salvation that will bring a spiritual worship. Not a singing of hymns altogether, but a worship in the spirit. It's got to be so contrary to the intellect, it's stunned by it. You can't understand God by intellectual faith. You must be born again. It's got to come to the heart. Here some time ago in another message, expectation I read of a little boy. Little baby boy would eat the erasers off of pencils. He eat the rubber pedal off of a bicycle and they take him to the clinic to find out what was the matter with him. And we know the story. And they examined him and found that the little body needed sulfur. There was a calling out for something and the eraser had the sulfur in it to respond. There was something calling out for sulfur and sulfur's in rubber. Now look, before there could be a call in sulfur, there has to be a sulfur to respond to the call. Before we have a desire for God, there has to be a God that created the desire that's drawing you and you're pulling out to him and there's a relationship that's forming and something that's coming together. There's a deep that calls to the deep. Worship is more than a song. I've, been, I've mentioned it over the choir for a couple of years and I, I still have not stopped thinking about it. And I've studied it and looked at it there's something so powerful with our worship to God. It's more than a song. It's an expression of love. It, it, it literally, to me, is the, the communication of the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. It's how we communicate to him. It's the back and forth. It's, it's something that's an expression that comes from the inside, and it can be a song, but it can be our life, how we live the things that we do, the things that we say. If you get up in the morning and you live a certain way at your job or you live a certain way at your school, that's a worship to Jesus. That's something that he loves to see. That's a life that's pleasing to him. You worship him because he saved you and he changed you and now you're giving back your life to him. In the Old Testament, they had uh, the very first example of worship Maybe, maybe not the first, but one of the first, other than in heaven, would have been Cain and Abel. We could say one of the first. They went to worship. And it was such an important thing to get right that the first example of murder in the Bible was one brother murdering someone else over an argument of the right way to worship. That's pretty important to get right then. One brother got it right and God honored it. And one got it wrong. He approached it with his own works, his own way, his fruits, and God was not happy, he didn't accept it, and he got so angry, it shows you the wrong seed, that he killed the other brother for getting it right. There's something so important about getting it right. There's something so important about being in the right channel. If you move to the children of Israel, as they went through the desert, they built the, skin, uh, the, the tent with, covered in badger skins, and God would dwell there. And the, the high priest Aaron would go in, and maybe he was the man along with Moses that would experience the most anointing in a year. You think about it. Moses would go maybe up to the mountain and talk with God, or Aaron would go into the holiest of holies once a year, and there would be an anointing and a presence that no one else could experience. But yet, Aaron still had to leave and go back to the tent and deal with his family and uh, the, the murmuring in the tents around him that they could probably hear through the thin walls and hear the politics of Israel, and, and yet there was an anointing. But he didn't live in it all the time. He only lived in it sometimes, 
David, you think about David. I bet you there was a lot of days David didn't write a lot of songs. I imagine that David wrote the most songs at the top and at the bottom. When he was on the mountain, he could praise God. And when he was in the valley, God was pulling another kind of song out of him. There was something that he would pull, but not every day. But it was in those low times that God would pull something. And in those high times where you could praise him and worship him for what he did. In, in the Old Testament, there was the, 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 the tabernacle of skins, and then it, Solomon built a temple. And that was where God was. The, the Most High was not supposed to dwell, you know, dwell in, a, in a tabernacle of skins. David would have that burden, and so they, Solomon fulfilled that desire. They built a beautiful uh, temple that was later destroyed, and there was a rebuilding, and there was different things that happened, but that was where God was at that time. Yeah. That was where you could find the place of worship. And when Jesus came, and I'm just moving up to a point, when Jesus came, the fullness of God was masked or dwelling in a man named Jesus Christ. There was baby Jesus, and the the wise men came and worshipped him. There was Jesus dying on a cross, and there was the fullness of God covered in a veil named Jesus. But I'll ask you this, where do you worship God today? The throne of God, the temple of God is this body now. The throne of God is the heart now. Where is God? He's not outside. When we sing the song, this is your house, it's a holy house of prayer, we think that it's this building. I know I did until maybe the other day or in the last recently of this is your house, a holy house of prayer. How do we treat this house of prayer? This is the house of prayer where the lost and lonely can come because God is masked here. When, when the Bible talks about the Son of Man, the Son of Man is now masked in a people here. The ministry of the Son of Man carries on through a bride now. It's God in us. You're his mask. We can see everyone's covered in masks, and it's such a terrible word to say these days. But God gets behind this skin. And when we worship God, he's right here. There's a relationship that's growing. I want to say something else. You can't be lost if God picked you. (laughs) You can't be lost if God picked you. If he chose you, look at where he's got you now. Wherever you came from to now, if he got you this far, he can get you all the way. No matter where you are in the middle, he can get you all the way. In Ephesians chapter 1, Verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. What did he purpose? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That was what he said about you. If you confessed your sins this week, it doesn't matter what you did, that's how he saw you this week. Holy and without blame before him in love. That's what he sees in you. Having predestinated us, or that having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, wherein to the praise of his glory, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. You can't lose. Luther, Martin Luther, this amazing quote that Martin Luther said, when I look at myself, I don't see how I can make it. But he said, when I look at Jesus Christ, he says, I don't see how I can be lost. If I look at myself, I don't see how I can make it. But when I look at the blood of Jesus, when I claim the blood, I don't see how I can't make it. How could he lose us? He's never lost a battle. 
We also must remember we're humans, though. We're full of mistakes. God knows that. Brother, Brother Ed took a service, I think, a couple of years ago with this scripture that has stuck with me, Psalms 103. For as the heavens is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like a, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And this is the verse, for he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. He knows that this guy fails. He understands that you fail. He understands our weaknesses and our tendencies and the way that we can get tripped up. He made us. He was in a body of flesh. He was perfect, but he understands. He knows our frame. There was a man in the Bible named Jonah that had a frame maybe like a lot of us. I know I can relate. If you follow him through the scripture, he was a man that had mood swings. He was a man that did things that looked pretty bad, I'll say. In the, let's start at chapter, you know what, let's turn to Jonah. Chapter one. We'll go through the story a little bit. Jonah is one of those stories that you hear in Sunday school a lot. And I think that many times we get the wrong impression of Jonah, though. Brother Branham said he wasn't backslidden. In fact, Brother Branham in one quote says he was in the perfect will of God. And we'll see if we can get to showing that. But know this, that we can backslide. And we can end up in some of the similar situations, feeling like we're in the belly of the whale, of our own choosing sometimes, our own punishment. But there's still a way out. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the, pre- from the presence of the Lord. That looks pretty bad. I think, I know I can say, I've done that. You felt one thing, yeah, go the other way. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down in the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. He wasn't even convicted, apparently. (laughs) He was asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And he said, every one to his fellow, come, let us cast lots that we may know who's, for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. And they said, then said they unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause is this evil come upon us, is upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou, and what is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them something that chilled them. He said, I'm a Hebrew. And this was still his confession. Brother Branham would say he wasn't backslidden. I guess he wouldn't have felt conviction because he was doing something that he was driven to do. He said, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. The God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land, then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may calm 
be calm unto us, for the sea be wrought and was tempestuous. And he said, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. And if we skip to the 15th verse, they cast him into the sea. And in the 16th verse, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. And I, I don't know, maybe Brother Ed can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that he was on a missions trip. He went a sideways way, and there were some people that turned to God out of that. Look at that. There's the first example of them turning to God, making thanksgiving, and vowing vows to the Lord that they now feared because the sea had come because they threw that guy overboard who seemed way out of the will of God. Seemed. But then Jonah was now in the belly of the whale. And this is the first two verses that we started with, Jonah 2, verse 1 and 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou hurtst my voice. Jonah was not having fun in the belly of a whale. I don't know, maybe he was bound hand and foot. I think Brother Branham would say that. They tied him up, they cast him out, floated down to the bottom. I imagine if he called it hell, maybe he didn't like water and maybe he didn't like fish. This was his hell. This is what he called it. I cried out of the belly of hell. This was the worst thing that he could probably imagine. And when Brother Branham would also say when a, when a fish eats, so he was being eaten, it goes down to the bottom of the sea to rest for a while. And there's no way out of this situation. You're laying in whale vomit, and the only thing that you can hope for is you're going to, well, the only options are basically drowning, suffocation, or the enzymes of that stomach to finish the job. Right? There's not a whole lot of ways out of this particular situation. But Jonah knew that he was supposed to go somewhere. Jonah knew that he was called to do something. There was someone that had sent him on a journey. There was someone that had chosen him as a prophet. There was someone that's chosen you as the bride. There's someone that sent you on a journey, and there's someone that sent you on a path. But sometimes in our journey, we hit a spot that seems real sideways. But Jonah was a prophet. But you're the bride, and the footsteps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. What does your situation look like that might seem so off? Or might seem, and we can backslide. We can backslide. We can hit spots that are wrong and we'll pay for it. But God has this beautiful way of bringing it around. And other times we're in a situation that's not our fault at all. But it is our hell, so to speak. We're in the belly of our whale or our fish. And we're in a spot that we don't know what to do and it's impossible to get out. And sometimes it's not even those big things. Sometimes it's the little annoyances the little things that the enemy puts in our way. Anything. Amen. Do you remember the service Brother Ron preached on Take It Back? Yeah. He talked about how David came back, and I think it was the Amalekites that snuck in from behind. David had been out to battle with his men before he became king. What did he do? He came back, and his home was on fire. He said, Brother Ron would say, it's one thing if the enemy's camp is on fire. It's another thing when your house is on fire. Yeah. When your situation is on fire, when your home or when your life is the one that's up in smoke, the scripture says that David did what? He encouraged himself in the Lord. What's the correct response from the belly of the fish? 
what's the correct response when something goes wrong? What's the correct thing that should come out of our mouth? What comes out of here is so powerful. Brother Branham says in the Church Age book, now the Lord God Almighty says, I know. I love this. This is one of my favorite quotes. There he is walking in the midst of his people. There he is the chief chief, chief shepherd of the flock. But does he hold back the persecution? Does he stem the tribulation? No, he does not. He simply says, I know your tribulation. I am not at all unmindful of your suffering. What a stumbling block this is to so many people. Like Israel, they wonder if God really loves them. How can God be just and loving if he stands by and watches his people suffer? That's what they asked in Malachi 1, 1 to 3, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's father, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. His love and showing you that his love was that he chose you and that he's got a purpose for you. Saith the Lord, yet I love Jacob and I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Yet, you see, they could not figure out God's love. They thought that love meant no suffering. They thought that love meant a baby with parental care. But God said that his love was elective love. The proof of his love is election. No matter what happened, his love was proven truly by the fact that they were chosen unto salvation. Why does he stand by? Brother Branham would go on to how character is a victory. He would go on to how if you don't have character, uh, leadership without character is satanic, I think, or leadership apart from character. But, but when you have a position, and, but when you have character, it's fit to rule. But character could only come through suffering. Amen. And then Brother Branham would say this. Now this special condition, this was in the Smyrna church age, must be applied to every age. There is no age free from it. I think, believe he was talking suffering. There is no true believer from it. This is of God. This is the will of God. It is needful. We need the Lord to teach us that we are to suffer and be Christ-like doing it. Amen. This is his house. Amen. This is where worship happens. This is where the response happens. Love suffereth long and is kind. Matthew 5, 11, and 12. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And then Jesus says something crazy. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. I remember as a young person, there was an older young person that had a sense of humor and he talked about how if you were persecuted for you know, serving God and there was pers- persecuting, he said, you should run behind the corner and just lose your mind. Just praise the Lord. That's really hard to do. But you're counted worthy. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And then this part of the quote, that's my favorite, maybe one of my favorites. The cloudy skies and storms of life are no sign of God's disapproval. Neither are the bright skies and still waters signs of his love and approval. His approval of any of us is only in the beloved. His love is elective, which he had for us before the foundation of the world. Does he love us? Ah, yes. But how shall we know? We shall know because he said so. Do you trust him? Do you know that he chose you? Have you seen that he's called you and he's drawn you this far? And manifested that he did love us for he brought us to himself and gave us of his spirit, placing us as sons. And then it says this, and this is the crux of the thought. How shall I, or part of it, the first half of it, how shall I prove my love to him? 
by believing what he said and conducting myself with joy amidst the trials that he in his wisdom allows to come to pass. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you don't have strength, it's because you don't have joy. Brother Branham, and now we're jumping right in, Brother Branham was criticizing a group of Pentecostals. I think it might have even been one particular sister that he saw up and dancing. And he began to criticize in his heart. He said they were dancing in the spirit and this Pentecostal thing. What are they doing? And it's emotion, maybe whatever he might have thought. And then he began to think. Then I got to reading the Bible, he said. And I found out that when dancing in the spirit, the devil copied it and put it out there with rock and roll and all that stuff. But the real genuine dance came from God. That's exactly, he says, a dance was victory. When David slew Goliath and this ruddy looking boy came dragging the head of this giant into the city and the people met him, they met him dancing. They had the victory. When Moses crossed the Red Sea by the power of God and took all the children of Israel on the other side, Miriam picked up a tambourine. And you imagine that feeling of seeing all of your enemies that you've seen all your life dead. Bubbles coming up in the Red Sea. All the daughters of Israel, and up and down the bank they went, beating the bank they went, beating the tambourine and dancing in the spirit. If that wasn't isn't an old-fashioned Pentecostal meeting, I never seen one in my life. He said, The trouble with was with me, I didn't have enough victory. He says, I wasn't dancing because I didn't have enough victory. And I believe the end of the quote was he was dancing. He got through and he got the victory. David's life, and we're moving in different things, David's life was ordered of God. And he had his ups and his downs, but he worshipped him. And I'll read a few psalms that just jump out at me. These are songs. These are things that David would have said in maybe good times, maybe bad times. Psalms chapter 18. We'll skip 1 Thessalonians. Psalms chapter 18, he talks and he says... um, Sorry, I'm going to turn to it. Okay. The, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. Uh, and he said, I, oh man, I can't read this where I'm sitting here. And he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. I'm going to. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Think of this as a song, as an anthem, as something to put out in worship. My God and my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. In his distress, he did something. He cried out to God, the one place that we should cry out to, the one place we should call out to. And he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. Then the earth shook. Something happened and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. 
and the brightness that was before him was thick clouds past, hailstones, coals of fire. God is moving. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice. God responded. God did something when we cry out to him. When we call out to him, I wonder if we could go to Psalms chapter 25. Just the two verses in Psalms chapter 25. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. We sing that as a song, and it is a song. It's worship. But it's a worship that's a weapon. It's a worship of calling out and trusting on God and defiance against our enemy. And there's a power in that. Psalms 23. This is a song we could probably quote off by heart. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And here's the part. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now for the next little bit, remember, you're in the shadow, valley of the shadow of death as he's talking. I'll fear no evil. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of where? How many's tried to eat when you're nervous? Doesn't work. He wasn't nervous. The presence of his enemies might be all around him, but God had prepared a feast for him. There was no fear. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Jehovah Shalom is our peace. He's our God. He's the one that fights for us. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalms 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in, not just my mind, not just here, but let it out. It'll be in my mouth continually. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me. And I love this. Every time it says all, from all my fears. We can have complexes. We can have fears. We can have, there's a promise for all. Amen. Those are just a few of the psalms that David would say. The few of the psalms that David would sing. I wonder if we could read one more. Psalms 27. This is the, this is the one scripture Brother Branham used as a text for the rapture. And believe it or not, it was a song. Wow. It wasn't even something doctrinal. It wasn't even something that was deep, but it was deep. It was a song. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise up against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I'll say even now we're dwelling in a house that's his. Amen. Even now. 
to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine enemies be lifted up above, now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I'll sing. I'll sing praises unto the Lord. David's life was ordered of God. And yet there was a man that failed. There was, there, was a, there was a Bathsheba incident that God turned around and brought Solomon. Joseph's life was ordered of God. You think, he, think of a man that went to jail, falsely accused, a type of Christ, falsely accused, and yet his response was, well, he worked hard and he was promoted up in the jail. He just lived a Christ-like attitude. Jonah's life was also ordered of God. Brother Branham would say in the message, Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, Jesus was speaking, and he, and he reads the scripture, I believe in Matthew, that I think I'll read in a second. Now, Jesus was speaking here of some of the people in the days that God had showed signs, and one, of, one he spoke of was Jonah. And Jonah was sent down to Nineveh. And Brother Branham says, I've always felt sorry for Jonah, because many people, I think, misunderstood Jonah. Now, they said Jonah was backslidden, and he was this and that and the other, and I've said the same. Brother Branham would say the same in the early 1950s. He said Jonah was backslid. But let's study Jonah for a minute. I don't believe that he was backslid because he was God's prophet. God had sent him on a journey of life, and he told him to do something. And he found himself in a spot that he didn't want to be. But God had sent him on a path because he was God's prophet, and he seemed to be walking out of the will of God. But the little story I want to tell you in a moment, I believe that God made it work out all just right. You know the footsteps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord? That gives us ministers, he says, a chance to kind of catch our breath sometimes when we think we made a wrong move. Sometimes it's God just moving us. You see Jonah gets called to do something. It seems like he goes another way, but God begins to work out a path. Because we know the story. If we go to the end, he comes out of the fish. The Ninevites worship the fish god according to history. So he walks out. God's arranged it so that he went one way, had to take the journey of a fish all the way back to Nineveh, comes out of a fish's mouth, and suddenly they believe this prophet. And one other thing. In Matthew, this shows you that it's got to be God that's led this whole thing. In Matthew 12, 39 to 41, he says, Jesus answers them and said unto them, an evil, they were asking for a sign. They wanted a sign. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was in the belly, was in three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In his worst looking moment, he was a sign of Christ. He was typing Christ in a moment that looked like a failure, in a moment that looked completely terrible by everyone else around him. He was typing Christ. It was a sign. It was a sign all the way. I say this to say, I say that to say this as well. We can have failures and we can backslide and we can have real mess ups. But don't let that discourage you. If God can take a man like Jonah, if God can take a man like Peter, if God can take a man, he can make it work out for good. But here's the thing. What's our response when something goes wrong? In Jonah chapter 2, 
How many, how's everyone doing? Doing good? Okay. This is what Jonah did when he was in the belly of the whale. It's interesting. If we go, actually, if we go back to verse 2. And I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord. Some of these things kind of sound like he's quoting some psalms, and there's actually some scriptural references. I cried by reason. This sounds like what David might say. I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardst my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves pass over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. But he remembered a promise. There was a place of worship. There was a place that he could look to. Yet I will look again towards thy holy temple. He knew if he could get pointed in the way of Solomon's temple. There was a promise there that God could hear him. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth compassed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou hast brought me up, my life from corruption. O oh Lord, my God, he begins to look up. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee and into thy holy temple. They, and he says something that's not found anywhere else in scripture, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. If he would have looked at his symptoms, Brother Branham would say, if he would look at all the things around him, surrounded by whale's belly, if he would have looked at the impossibility of the situation, he would have forsook his own mercy. Brother Branham would say, you can't look at your symptoms and be a Christian. You can't be a Christian looking at your symptoms. There's no faith in that. Anything you see around you, anything that the devil puts in front of you, any situation that isn't looking at the promise of God is a lying vanity. The next verse, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving in the whale's belly. And I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. He begins to worship God. He begins to look at him. He begins to look up to where his help comes from. And then I believe at that point he was spat out of the whales, of the fish. The Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited Jonah out. When we begin to worship God, not only is it the right response, it's the thing that starts to change our situation. It's the thing that allows God to go into action. Brother Branham would say that you have to accept something, believe it, and confess it for God to work. There's a quote for that. You have to accept it, believe it, and confess it. There's something that has to come out of our mouth. There's a power in the spoken word. You can't go by your feelings. You won't feel saved every day. I'll, I'll tell you, if you've been, gave your heart to God or if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost or you've been at the altar recently, or, you're not gonna feel like you were there every day. You won't. But that doesn't change that you were there and that God did fill you. That doesn't change the promise. That's just our human emotions. That's just the symptoms. That's just our flesh. He knows our frame. You'll not be on the mountaintop every day. Sometimes you will, and it's fun. But you won't be there every day. But you can be on the mountaintop in your soul every day if you keep feeding it. Amen. The only limit we have, Brother Max preached, in our inheritance in walking forward is how much are we feeding? That's the limit. If we stop feeding, we stop walking forward, and we start going back. And if we stop praising him, and if we stop worshiping him and giving our whole lives to him, 
Brother Brandon would say, all right, let's say it was five miles deep and there was Jonah. He, in this quote, he says, backslid, running from God, hands down behind him on a stormy sea, five miles deep down in the sea, and a whale's belly. And he looked this way and it was whale's belly. And that way it was whale's belly. Right up, it was whale's belly. Everywhere he looked, it was a whale's belly. Talk about symptoms. He had a lot of symptoms around him, but he said, they're lying vanities. He said, once more I will look towards your holy temple, Lord. He knew that when the temple was dedicated, that Solomon said a prayer and said, if thy people be in trouble anywhere and look towards this holy temple here, symptoms are lying, they're lying vanities. Don't receive them. Don't have nothing to do with them. If you look to them, you're looking away from God. And then he says here, no one could look at what they see and be a Christian. You can't do it. You've got to believe the things that's unseen. It's by faith that you're healed, not by sight or feeling. So what's our response when we have something that goes real wrong? Do we, you get some, a text come in, you throw the phone, or you get something that goes real sideways, or something's not working out, and you've tried, and you've tried. In our lives, we can hit mountains where it feels like we keep going around the same problem again and again, the same rut again and again, the same failure again and again and again. They marched around Jericho day after day after day. There was a day, though, that there was a promise, and they shouted, and those walls came down. Maybe a little brick popped off at the top. Maybe there was a little bit of a dust out of the foundation that began to shake, but there was something that was happening. And when they shouted and when they did their part and they had walked around and around and around, the walls came down just like God promised. Amen. What's your need? What's in your way? What's the thing that gets you? What's the thing? Do you believe that the third pole is for young people? Brother Branham talks about the third pole. It's the spoken word, and there was, there's different parts to it and many things. But what's really interesting to me, and I, there's ministers here that can correct me, and I hope I don't get it wrong, but I don't believe I have it wrong. It's simpler than we think. In my new ministry, Brother Branham talks about a fish being created, or a fish coming back to life, and squirrels being created. I think my count was six squirrels being created before one miracle of salvation. Um, a, a tremendous miracle where God spoke through a sister and her boys came back. But the other times, it was daily needs. I'll say this. In the last couple of weeks, I've made this confession. I said, I'll walk closer to God this week than I ever have. And God began to bring it to pass. Amen. Is that not the power that we have to speak to our situation? Our daily needs. Not something fantastic. That will come. On the seventh time or the eighth time, however that worked, that came. But the other times it was squirrels. The other times, if you need a job, isn't that the third pole? If you said, I'll have a job, God will give me something. God will provide, and then he does. That's God. That's God in young people. That's God living through us. That's the right response. What's your need? Speak it. Go forward. Moses came to a Red Sea. And he said, God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And God said, speak and go forward. You know that I've called you to go all the way to the promised land. God's called us to go all the way to heaven. What's in our way? If sin is in your way, speak and go forward. If there's something that's in your way, let it go out of the way. Speak to your mountain. It's yours. If it's in the way of the promise, if it's in the way of something that's holding you back, it has no right to be there. God's never lost a battle, and we know he never will. 
There's that song, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah, I will watch the darkness flee. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm louder and louder. That storm will hear my voice roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. A good man, Matthew 12 says, out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. By thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Speak positive things. Say things that count. Say things that matter. Speak the word of God back. When you find a promise of God, if the Son therefore shall set you free, you shall be free. Say that. Not, oh, I can't do this. Uh, the, 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 the devil would get me. When I'd get frustrated in a moment, I would say, oh, I hate everything, or I hate life, or I, I would say that under my breath. And I started to switch that around lately. Every time that comes to here, what comes out is, I love God and I hate the devil. Then, then we know where we stand. I might have been frustrated, but he doesn't know that. And we know that I hate him and I love God. That's the confession of our life. We may not squeak, even, uh, sorry. Brother Branham says in the message, in his presence, it's a good song you're saying, always put the presence of the Lord before you. And don't do nothing that you wouldn't do in his presence because he's watching over you. See, the Lord is encamped about those that fear him. He stays right near you and he knows everything you're doing and you must recognize that. When you start to tell a lie, don't do it. Remember, God is listening at you. If you start to do a little cheat, don't do it. God's looking at you. If you start to take his name in vain, don't do it. God's listening to you. Start to smoke a cigarette. He's watching you. See, we used to sing a song all the road all along the road to the soul's true abode, there's an eye watching you. Every step that you take, this great eye is awake and there's an eye watching you. Remember, do like David and always put the Lord before your face. Then your heart will rejoice. And I want to take it a step farther. It's not just that the presence of God keeps you from doing wrong. That's one part of it, and it does. But God can fight for you. His presence can go before you and behind you and all around you and keep the desire of the things away from you and push back situations and change God's God. There's nothing out of his control. Second Chronicles chapter 20, and I think this is my last scripture. I said I think, just in case you didn't catch that. Second Chronicles chapter 20, there's a story. I'm going to try to turn to it too. This is the story of a King Jehoshaphat. And there was, in verse 1, it came to pass that after this that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon these were Israel's enemies. And with them that were beside the other Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. And there came, a great, there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh great, come a great multitude against thee from behind the sea on this side, Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazan Tamar, which is in En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared, and he did the right thing. And he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord, even out of all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And then he begins to worship him. He said, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou not God in heaven? 
And rulest thou not over all the kingdoms of the earth, of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand before thee? That's a good way to approach God. Art thou not our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of of Abraham, thy friend forever? And he goes on. And they they begin to get courage and strength. And in verse um, 15, uh, Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, begins to, the spirit of the Lord comes on him and he says, hearken ye all Judah and all inhabitants of of Jerusalem. God heard their prayer and this was the response. And thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, it's God's. And now this is amazing what happens. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. Nothing like good intelligence from God. This is where they're coming. And they, and you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. And this is interesting because God says they don't need to fight in this battle. And I want to show you what they did because this is what we need to do sometimes. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose up early in the morning, and they went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So ye shall be established. Believe as prophets. So ye shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, they appointed spears and swords and guys with bows and arrow and um, 32nd BC century machine guns. He appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the, praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army. The army was there, and they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord sent out ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and to destroy them. For when he had made an end of the when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. The own enemies started fighting each other. And when Judah came over the watchtower. In the wilderness, they looked into the multitude. They'd been singing. They had been worshiping. They had been worshiping in their storm. They were in a situation that looked, the enemy was coming against them. And they had been singing and they come over and they looked in the multitude. And behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry And there were three days in gathering the spoil. The power of worship as a weapon. God, you release God. You can let God go when you begin to worship him, when you begin to praise him. Oh God, you're so great. He likes hearing that. 
Oh God, you're so worthy. He likes hearing that. Oh God, I know that you're all powerful in my situation. He wants to hear that. He wants to know that you trust him. He wants to know that you believe him. And then he begins to set forth an action and the, the heavens begin to shake as the Psalms say and there's thunders and he begins to ride that cloud in and change that whole circumstance and situation. Hallelujah. You remember the video of Sister Alana Butts in Evening Light? She danced around that whole building and the next day the doctors couldn't find cancer in her body. Yeah. You remember the story from, I can't remember if it was Saskatchewan or Calgary, a sister that had cancer in her body and she raised her hands and began to worship and then she checked and they were gone. Yeah. The power of worship yeah. in yeah. impossible circumstances. Yeah. The power of praise when it doesn't look like we should be praising. In the good times, praise his name. In the bad times, do the same. In everything, Give the king of kings all the praise. You can worship no matter what. When, when you can worship no matter what, when you can give God the glory no matter, matter the circumstance, mountains will move. Giants will fall. Sickness will flee. Death has no hold. How confident are you in your God? Do you really believe that God is God? I'll say this. Do you think you've backed yourself into a corner that God can't handle? I'll invite the musicians to come. Let's all stand. How many's got a, and you don't have to raise your hands, but how many has a situation that they need God to move in? Now's a moment. There's going to be music. Now's a moment where you can begin to worship, begin to let go. Brother Branham would say, he would say in the prayer line at different times, Someone would come up to them and they had a situation. They were sick, maybe unto death. And Brother Branham would say to them, different times in the prayer lines, time and time again, look up the word relax. He just said, relax, let go. We can come so tensed and so stressed up. Relax, give it to God. He's the one that fights your battle. You can play something softly. I don't know what, whatever you feel. When we have situations, react the right way. Look to God from the inside and find what's calling. Do we trust him? Do we know that he's in control? I want to say one more thing. Jesus said that true worship comes in spirit and in truth. That's the mechanics and dynamics of worship. The Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He, Jesus says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Truth and freedom equals true worship, or truth and spirit equals true worship. What happens if you know the truth of it, but you're not free yet? You know the truth of it here. Maybe you feel the presence of God, but you don't know that you're supposed to be free. Remember math class? One plus one equals something. And sometimes you don't have that middle one. You have to rearrange the equation. Paul and Silas one day knew that they could be free. But they didn't, they were not free. The, the dynamics weren't there. So they rearranged the equation and began to worship anyway. And God set them free. 
even if you don't see it, start praising him. Even if you don't feel it, start praising him. Worship comes, freedom comes, liberty comes. Hallelujah. What are you playing, Brother Philip? Sorry? I feel the pull. I hear the call. And God's Spirit's moving me to give my all. He speaks to me. And I agree. Lord, please come and take control. I feel the Just fails to know exactly why. Well, I can't explain with tongue or pen the spirit's groaning deep within. It must be God. Oh, Oh, worship. 